This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 239. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Hello, and welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and you're in the right place right now if you are creative. You're trying to earn more from your creative skills or your creative genius, and you want to do it without selling your soul with aspirations to go six or maybe even seven figures one day. Speaking of seven figures, we actually have an amazing guest today, someone who is well beyond the seven-figure range, almost to the eight-figure range, which might be the first time we've had someone knocking on the door of eight figures on this podcast before, which is $10 million a year, by the way, if you're not following the zeros. I just got done with an amazing conversation with Becca Kingsbury from a company called Dingus and Zazzy. It's memorable for sure. But Dingus and Zazzy is doing over a half a million dollars per month as an agency. And they're doing it all through recurring services where people are paying a flat monthly fee to stay on as a client. And they're doing some incredible stuff. Whether or not you ever have aspirations to grow to a half a million dollar per month business, you can still do things and take away things from this conversation to grow to maybe a half a million dollar per year business, which may be what you want, or even just $50,000 per year business, whatever your aspirations are. This interview has things that are, you are going to want to take away and implement into your business. I think their superpower, Dingus and Zazzy and Becca Kingsbury in general, is being willing to try pretty much anything. And I mean anything to grow the business in a fun way that matches their culture and their vibe, which is, I think, one of the things that stands out the most. You'll understand what I'm talking about when you hear this conversation. They've done things like faxing people. Do you remember fax machines? I've never used a fax machine in my life. They faxed thousands of people to get clients. They've sent out tens of thousands of cold emails per month to get clients. They're running ads. They're doing literal sea shanties on their sales calls. They have puppet shows. I'm not kidding you. This is the most bizarre business I've ever heard of to be at the level that they're at almost $10 million a year. It's insane. So I won't have anything else to spoil. Here is my interview with Becca Kingsbury of Dingus and Zazzy. Becca, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm excited for us to chat about what you got going on over at Dingus and Zazzy with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm definitely going to talk too much. It's going to be great. I'm like hoping that's the case because if I'm the podcast host and I talk more than my guests, then I'm doing something absolutely wrong. First things first today is I have to know what the hell is with the name. It is one of those bizarre names I've seen for an agency. And maybe there's some that stand out more than that, but they're just not coming to mind right now. I'd love to know about how that name came to fruition. Absolutely. So it may or may not surprise you, they're cats. They were cats. They're gone now. But Dingus and Zazzy were cats. And we decided to name the company in honor of them. And we got a fun cat logo out of it. The reason I wanted to ask this was, I was A, I wanted to know where it came from. So it came from your cats. That's great. Number two is that is not a very safe name. When I'm thinking about like in the grand schemes of naming my business something, it's not a safe name, but I think it's a very memorable name because I remember when you first reached out to come on the show and then your name got brought up and your business name got up. I was like, that's an interesting name. And then there was like a long delay between when that happened and when we actually got you on the show. But I still remember the name when I saw it the second time. So it is definitely a memorable name. What is just your take? I can already know the answer to this, but I'd love to know your thoughts on picking a safe name like Disruptor Agency or something stupid like that versus a very memorable and unique name like you chose. Honestly, there's a few things behind it. One, our immature sense of humor is a, lot, a big part of our culture. Our dress code is cover your genitals. We're all about being who you are. We don't care. Dead serious. That is all our dress code is. I succeeded today. It looks like good for me. We don't actually want to get sued, but we do think it'd be hilarious if some fancy stiff lawyer has to say it was a straight face in court. That sounds hilarious to us. 
However, you'd be shocked how hard it is to convince the registry, the DMV, whatever country you live in, that it is a actual company name that you actually need to register. It can take some convincing (laughs) at the registration office to actually incorporate a company with a name like Dingus. But honestly, it also works for us in that it helps weed out what kind of clients we end up with in a positive way. So we are not wearing dress clothes. We are in jeans and t-shirts or sweatpants or unicorn onesies every day. We don't care. And we're going to be making bad jokes and we all have like weird hair and tattoos and like we're just here to have a good time. And we attract clients who enjoy that. And our name itself will steer away any client who is not our vibe or is not going to appreciate who we are. And that's okay with us. You said hearing a lawyer say that name in court, something came to mind of when Blink-182, when they named their like company name, the legal name of Blink-182, the band, if you remember them, their legal name was Poo Poo Butt Incorporated. And they said that because they wanted the exact same thing. They wanted to hear a lawyer in a court have to say Poo Poo Butt Incorporated. (laughs) That makes me so happy. We're working on a secondary company right now, the three of us co-founders and the name is, believe it or not, more immature. I just can't share it yet. That's fine. I can't, I we'll have you back on the show to talk about that business whenever you get it up and running. All right. So one of the things that stood out to me in your story and doing my research and looking into what you're up to is last I heard, this could have changed and it usually does. And usually it goes up and to the right, this number, is you are at $500,000 per month in recurring revenue as a creative agency. Is that accurate? Is that still the number? Is it right? We're slowly and continually growing and I'm super duper proud of it. Honestly, I don't think I've taken down hiring ads in two years because we just keep growing and we just keep being like, we need another 10 people this month. Let's go. That's insane to me. So what is the size of your team? I know it's like you probably split between part-time and full-time and contractors, but just the full-time like core team, how large is that now? Actually, we only have full-time employees. We don't have any external contracts. We don't outsource anything. All of our people are our people. We have about 160 right now. Jeez. All right. So you had you and like one or two other co-founders that you started this with. How long ago was that? Uh, About two and a half years ago. um, It's myself, John and Erica. John had the original idea, brought me in. And then Erica was somebody I already had a really close personal and business relationship with. And I was like, we need her too. Let's go. Yeah, this is about two and a half years ago. And when you first started this out, was this was your vision as big as your company is now? Like, was your vision like, I am going to grow a company with 160 employees and a half a million dollars per month in recurring revenue. Was it bigger than that? Or was it smaller than that? Like, where was your vision when you first started this? Honestly, we haven't even come close to our final goal and we didn't expect to hit it this early. So that's okay. Our co-founder, John, his first company was a nine-figure business. It's now like no longer a company that he is dealing with. But our goal is if we can make this to a $100 million company, freaking awesome. If we can make it a unicorn, that'd be really neat. But honestly, like our goal is if we can hit a hundred mil, that'd be pretty neat. So one day we'll be there. All right. So you have way bigger vision than I'd say 99.999% of people listening to this show, but I still want our audience to be listening and paying attention because there is so much that you can take away from somebody like Becca and what she's done with this company. And I want to start this kind of conversation off on the offer behind what you're doing at Dingus and Zazzy. What is the core offer or your service or services? I don't even know what, I just call it an offer. What do you do and who do you do it for? Great questions. All three of us came from running separate businesses before this. And all three of us were using like a freelancer for this and a freelancer for that and a freelancer for this. And that's fabulous. And we had great people working with us that we freaking loved and they did such good work. However, we as the business owners were managing all of these people. And as a business owners, you don't always have the time or the energy or the skill set to do that. I can tell you very well, I do not speak web. I will just say, I would like it to look pretty. Nightmare for a web designer who's like, you got to tell me literally anything more than that. 
Our vision was to create a company, and this is what we did. Each of our clients has a dedicated project manager. That project manager is their solitary point of contact here at Dingus and Zazie, and they basically function as your marketing mini-me. They are your basically your marketing assistant, and that person will meet with their client all the time, talk to their client every single business day, and they will then execute all the marketing stuff with the team. So your project manager will go to the web team and be like, hey guys, I need this project accomplished. I know this person and this person are the best at it. I need this graphic design project. I can pull in all these other humans to help my client out. And the client doesn't need to learn 160 names. The client doesn't need to understand how to build a website. They basically hired an entire team for less than the cost of a full-time employee. And alongside of that, gotten a project manager to do all the grunt work for them. That is amazing. And you do this under a like unlimited pricing model, right? Exactly. We look at it like we're the Netflix of marketing. You can pay depending on the package you want to get unlimited, whatever the heck you got in your package, whether that's all nine of our services, sweet. Whether that's you just want one service, which a lot of our like startups want, they'll start with one, then move to the next, then move to the next. But it's completely unlimited work and it's totally month to month. So you can switch your package as often as you switch your mind. We don't care. It's super duper flexible and completely unlimited. And we definitely have had our clients who really put that to work and we love it. And I'm dead serious when I say to prospects, I'm like, hey, our top ever person who had the most ever tasks requests at once was like 263, I believe. I was like, somebody needs to dethrone her because she's had it for over a year. Somebody else needs to take the record. (laughs) We are completely unlimited and we don't care. Obviously, within reason, if you ask for 400 websites to be done overnight, we're going to be like, respectfully, you don't know how websites work. This is kind of the process, but it is unlimited. That's cool. And what did you go with the route of unlimited versus what I think most agencies and freelancers tend to go with, which is like project and quote-based pricing? For a couple of reasons. One, when I get a quote, say it's like, hypothetically speaking, building something on my house or getting a website built, anything, I don't have the understanding to know, like, are these reasonable timelines or reasonable prices? I don't have that knowledge. And a lot of our clients don't either. So like, if I got a quote for a website, how am I to know if it's reasonable to spend 2,600 hours or if I'm being ripped off? So that's part of it is just not all of our clients have that knowledge and understanding to navigate those kind of conversations. And then secondly, I like Unlimited and so does our whole team to the point of, I don't think about how many episodes I watch a month on Netflix. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch BoJack Horseman on a loop and annoy the shit out of everybody else in my house. And it's fine because it doesn't cost me per episode. Whereas if I bought them on iTunes, it would cost me per episode. So I'm going to go with the unlimited model and save myself money in the long run. And why couldn't more businesses be like that? If anybody out there knows of an unlimited flat rate accounting firm, an unlimited flat rate legal firm, sign me up because then I never have to worry about like, is it worth asking for this thing that I need? I can just get it done. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. Like, it seems like the inevitability for a lot of industries is to have some sort of model like this. And I think that's why Netflix is around and Blockbuster is gone is for this exact reason of the nickel and dime per piece versus just wanting unlimited everything. I think the biggest challenge with this, and I'm sure you experienced this, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, is pricing for something like this. Right now, your prices on your website are about $2,000 a month for unlimited one service, five to six grand a month for all services or $10,000 a month for unlimited services for white label, meaning you're basically a middleman between two other clients. What was your pricing at when you first started this out? So we actually still have a couple of clients on this original pricing that are paying us $500 a month. We're never stuck with any idea. We're very, very big believers in no idea is a bad idea unless you actually try it. But then you might actually learn the hard way. And we've fallen on our face too many times to count and I don't care. We let the market dictate what our pricing should be, what was reasonable. And as long as we're still like able to continue creating jobs and hiring people and making money, cool. 
So we just slowly, slowly hiked it up over time. But yeah, there's a couple of companies out there paying $500 a month for unlimited marketing. That's what we call it an OG member and they get the grandfathered in pricing. I do that with my companies as well. People who joined early on, believed in the company, they get that grandfathered in pricing just to show an appreciation for giving a chance to something that was new and unproven. So you're running this very much like a SaaS company, which is software as a service. I have two of those myself. And so I understand the metrics behind it. I understand the business model behind it, marketing that. And it's usually a lot different than running a service-based or freelance company. You've found a way to marry these things together So I do want to dive into some of the metrics and the challenges around that sort of marriage between two different business models. But I want to stay on this topic of pricing before I go there. Pricing has evolved significantly. It was from 500 a month, and now you're up to about five grand a month for the similar, like all services, unlimited package. I would assume that's the one most people choose is that five grand a month package. Yes. It's in the middle. That's the one that everyone always chooses. And how did that evolve over time? Like how long did it take you to work your way up to that? What was the decisions that went into deciding whether or not to increase price? So we were honestly at that $500, forget it all, all of our services for about six months. And just as we scaled, we just, if I'm being honest, we kind of left it as a challenge to our sales guys in a couple of times. This is before we even had pricing on our website because we were so brand new. We just had a little Squarespace website. And I was like, see if you can pitch it for $800. See how it goes. See if you can pitch it for $1,000. And we were just super communicative about what objections we were receiving. And if those objections were pricing-based, diving into the why. Because if I have a $500 product, but you offer me $1,000 for it and you're not even blinking at the price, clearly I have not priced myself out of the market and then I'm on the right track there. Do you look at metrics when making these decisions? Because I look at like, what's my close rate versus price? Because I'm very numbers driven. As somebody who has two software companies, you kind of have to be. And you're an operations person. Back, we actually talked before this. Surprisingly, you don't even have a traditionally creative background. Your background is actually from running like restaurants which is super interesting. And now you're chief operations officer for Dingus and Zazzy. What sort of metrics do you look at or do you even look at metrics when making these pricing increases? It's a little bit of metrics and a little bit of gut feelings. So as there's three of us co-founders, we all kind of have our superpowers. We all kind of have our like places that we live here in the company. John is the main of the three of us who gets really involved with the sales team. So he's the one in there every single day, sales meetings, being like, what objections are we facing? What objections are we not overcoming? Where are we finding frictions? Where are we finding wins? And so he's literally gut checking every single day. Are we getting pricing objections? No, we haven't gotten a pricing objection in three months. Okay, we're either at the perfect spot or we have some wiggle room here because at the end of the day, we always look at, honestly, if I look at more income as more people I can give jobs to, which really excites me and motivates me. So if we have that wiggle room and add a little bit more profitability that we can throw into the hiring side of things, solid. That gut check's super duper important. And we also obsess over our sales numbers and our attrition numbers. We talk about them every single day. So if we notice, hypothetically speaking, because we have these numbers, if our people who are paying get it all for $3,000 are staying for forever, but our people paying $5,000 are only lasting a week and a half, we don't have a package that's that short, a month and a half, I don't know. We can look at those numbers and they're all live. We have a dashboard that feeds it to us nonstop 24-7. So we can see our attrition rates at the different price points and see if that makes a difference because obviously, and it goes without saying really, but like a $3,000 client that stays for four years is a lot more valuable than a $5,000 client that stays for six months. Yeah. So it's all about lifetime value. What is the lifetime value of a client? And you get that by looking at things like churn rate, which we'll get into maybe at some point in this conversation. We're not going to get, we're not going to get too nerdy too soon. We're going to ease our way into that. But you mentioned a metrics dashboard. I'm just curious what you use for that. This is me being selfish and wanting to know what you're using to like track all these sorts of things. Is it just a spreadsheet with all the numbers and graphs populated or do you have something more fancy you use? We got a fancy toy and we love it. It's called Databox. 
We have a couple of TVs up in the office where we can actually see the data and it just circles through all day long so we can see it. It's awesome. If I'm being honest, it's not complete because we keep thinking of more and more and more metrics we want to add into it. Things like cost of hiring, like how long does it take us to find a graphic designer when we need a graphic designer? How many dollars are we spending on ads to find a really cool graphic designer versus a copywriter, et cetera? We can just keep finding more and more metrics that we're like, I wish I knew this 24-7. So it's going to continuously evolve and eventually it's going to be like a 600 page thing, I'm sure. I'd love to know a bit more about your adding your personality into your business. I think that's one of your big strong suits is you've got purple hair. I'm sure you've read Purple Cow by Seth Godin. I feel like that's a huge influence on what you're doing with your business and how you stand out from maybe a few of the other unlimited models that are out there when it comes to like an unlimited creative services model, which there's a couple more out there, standing out from those and just standing out from any individual agency as well. Like talk about some of those things that you have done because I've got a list of them I want to go over with you because some of these are pretty crazy, but just talk through how you look at separating yourself from the pack. Absolutely. So our biggest thing is all three of us have come from, well, mostly myself and Erica, we've come from jobs, companies, et cetera, where it's either like you have to pretend to be somebody else. You have to like dress in their dress code and cover your elbows at all times, which seems arbitrary, but okay, we'll cover our elbows, whatever. Rules that didn't really make sense or make the company better. Whereas here, a part of the reason that our staff attrition is as good as it is, and I'm very proud of like how long our people stay with us. We have so, so, so many from our original wave of hiring that are 90% of them are still here and they're still awesome. They're an inaugural part of our company. And I think one of the biggest reasons is you can be you here as long as you follow the really complicated dress code. And we do test for culture. It's a really big part of our interviews and whatnot, because at the end of the day, our biggest thing in our handbook is don't be a, I don't know if I can say it on the internet. So don't be a meanie head is what I'm going to go with. (laughs) That's our biggest thing is we want people to enjoy work and have fun. And keeping our culture how it is as we've scaled has been a really big priority for us. It's an asset to us in the marketplace because it doesn't matter if you get this project manager or that project manager or the other one, they're still going to send you dumb gifts. They're still going to crack jokes and they're still going to be not a suit and tie buttoned up individual. They're going to be an intelligent, funny person who's going to make sure that you're not just getting your marketing stuff done, that you're having a good time. I put so much of our business into restaurant metaphors because it's where my brain grew up professionally. But I'm like, if you have a server who makes you have fun every time you go there, plus the food's good, you're going to want to go to that restaurant versus the one down the street because you know you're going to have a good time while you're there. And that's part of why we have the culture that we do. That's part of why we put fun into every part of our branding, everything. I mean, if you look at our website right now, as of this podcast recording, there's like a creepy squirrel that'll jump at you from the website because it's funny. There's a place on my website. Go ahead and find it. You can blow up my website. Trust me, go find it. It's fun. Let me know what your high score is on LinkedIn. Go blow it up. I've already done it and I completely destroyed your entire site. I don't remember what my score was. That's one of the things I wanted to bring up is like, I encourage everyone to go to your website. It'll be in our show notes at sixfigurecreative.com slash 239. It'll be the link to Dingus and Zazzy's site and anything we mentioned, books, software, everything will be on that page for show notes. So just go to that one central place there. And I just want to talk about some of the things I found on your site that I thought were interesting besides the creepy squirrel. One was like, if you buy the $5,000 package, we'll tattoo our logo on our bodies or the $10,000 a month package, we'll tattoo your logo onto our eyeballs and visit you in our dreams. For the $10,000 a month package, you also get a complimentary vacation. And you're like, we're serious. You have all your team members, instead of like cringy headshots where they're just like touching their fingers to their chin, you have them all in spacesuits, <laughs> photoshopped onto spacesuits. I'm assuming you didn't actually put them into giant like actual spacesuits for this. But my favorite thing was that thing that says, don't click this on the foot of your website. It prompts a game where you can literally blow up your site. Sorry for the spoilers for anyone who wanted to go search for that yourself. These are all fabulous things that stand out so much to me that when I saw that, I was like, 
This is unlike anything I have seen. And I'm having so much fun on this, what should be boring, normal website where you tell me about vision and values and you tell me about your team and you tell me about how you're going to help my company scale to seven figures or whatever, like the things that most agencies in your space are going to talk about. You said, no, we're going to do whatever we want. I think I heard you say something about how you have a bounty for your team that if someone gives an idea you implement, you give them money. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I want to say I have bounties on like 10 things in my company and I love it. But one of them is I pay for good ideas. So if a staff member comes to me with a unique idea that is going to change a process or change the way we do things or change our company for the better and I implement it, I pay them cash because do I have a couple brain cells? Sure. But I am not a web expert. I'm not a video expert. So if my video team can come to me with problems versus me trying to figure out like what's going on in a video, I don't fully know how to do this. I pay for good ideas all day long and I pay for them often. I'm talking weekly. I'm handing out cash because my people are so smart and they're great at what they do and they do it all day long. So why would I ever want to do anything but enthusiastically encourage them to dump it all on me so that we can be better? That's great. All right. So I want to go to an area that I think our audience struggles with a bit and that you seem to be an expert at, especially in some of the research that I've done, is actually getting clients. You've scaled the business to $500,000 a month, which is more than most of our audience probably makes in a year. You seem to be doing some cool and sometimes crazy stuff when it comes to getting clients. One of them has to do with that squirrel, that creepy squirrel that comes up on your site. You're giving away a $50 Amazon gift card just to book a call with you. Have you seen an effect? Is that just a test that you're doing right now? Because I know you just said no idea is a bad idea until you actually try it. Was this just like a harebrained idea? You're like, let's just try giving a $50 Amazon gift card away to anyone that books a call with us this week. It was a 100% harebrained idea that we launched three months ago and it works. So we're still doing it. Not kidding. If you're listening and you want to sign up and you go through that link on our website to book a call with my sales guys, we'll send you a $50 Amazon gift card. I hope you buy something weird with it. Squirrel finger puppets are currently on sale for $12. But no, we're dead serious. Honestly, the stupidity and the creativity when finding clients, it's on brand for us. So we keep it in our sales process too. From things like, we literally did a Kermit the Frog pitch. Like we brought a Kermit puppet and pitched as Kermit while we hit under the table. What? They're going to remember that. Where is that? On a live pitch with a client on a Google Meet. I heard you mention something about sea shanties. Can you talk about that? We rewrote the weatherman to be the dingus man with like everybody's in like ridiculous costumes, like a children's rain hat and such. And we had a guitar playing staff member and they recorded it. And we literally sent this video to dozens of prospects and they watched it and we got sales out of it because it was funny and memorable. And they're like, if you put this kind of thought into an outreach video, what else are you doing? So they booked with us and end up signing up, which is really cool. Oh gosh, what else? We've done so many things. One that sounds less exciting, but when I get into it, it's really freaking cool, is we work with a company out of Bulgaria called Hypergen. You guys are going to want to write that down because it is the best thing I ever did for lead generation. They become really good friends of ours and they do cold email outreach, but they do it in our style. They are very much a dingus fit because the squirrel came from them. The original squirrel was them. They found this insane crazy looking squirrel on the internet. And they're like, we're going to attach this to every single cold email that we send out. The squirrels made me so much money. Oh my gosh. I love this squirrel with all my heart. He is psychotic looking and I don't know what it is, but people respond to the squirrel and like they respond to weirdness because it stands out. You get some regular sales pitch in your inbox probably every day, probably multiple times a day. How often do you get a deranged looking squirrel? It makes a difference when you can stand out from your crowd. As you said, Purple Cow, Seth Godin, one of my favorite books. And we take it a little too literally sometimes, but it works. Even for instance, we were at a trade show about a year ago. We wanted to do something weird and different. We bought a karaoke machine. The guys weren't even pitching. They were singing karaoke. 
They were stealing people from other booths to sing karaoke with them. They were stealing like random humans, just like, hey, you want to come sing with us? I've seen many software companies and agencies at conferences, and I've never seen one with a karaoke machine. And that seems like it would be a hit. And you don't have to pitch because it's now you're the fun ones in the group. Just listening to you talk about this stuff, it is so much more fun to own a business that isn't boring. (laughs) It's so much more enjoyable. And to me, it matches my vibe. Like I'm not the person to be like suit and tie, button it up. I'm in a hoodie here. You're in a sweater. Like we kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit. Although I feel like you have executed on being yourself way better than even I have. (laughs) I'm thinking of my own business. I'm like, what did I go wrong? I used to write some of the craziest emails when I first got started. I would say some of the craziest stuff when I was earlier in my career. And I think I've lost it over the years. I need to maybe bring this back. And you're bringing me the joy and the kick in the pants to go towards that. I do want to talk about this cold email thing because it's a huge part of at least getting started or at least 2020, 2021. I don't know. When did you guys get started again? We got started, oh gosh, what year is it? (laughs) Late 2020, we got started. We tried cold email ourselves. We did okay with it, honestly. We did see some success. So it is something you can try on your own without the help of an agency. But then like, honestly, we switched to Hypergen and like we have a custom package with them. So I'm not gonna spill the beans on the price we're paying. But we are sending out 80,000 cold emails a month. That's ridiculous. And it's just effing up my sales guys' calendars. They're just booked solid because they just keep getting leads handed to them of people saying, yes, please. Yeah, that was the thing I was going to point out was we have people on the show who come on and they talk about cold outreach or cold email and they talk about how it works for them. And then when we dive into the process behind it, it is always 10 to 100 times more volume than anyone ever tries. So people in our audience, and I know this for a fact, they'll send 20, 30 emails and they'll be like, "Ah, I didn't get any responses. They'll send 100 emails. It's like, I only got a client or two. I look at people like you, and this is straight from Hypergen's website. It says the testimonial they have for you in their case study page for Dingus and Zazzy. After partnering with Hypergen, Dingus and Zazzy have now tapped into a goldmine of prospects. The first month of our partnership produced 5,000 contacted leads. The second, 21. Now our third month together, 42,000. And fast forward however long ago this was, now you're at 80,000 leads contacted per month. At this time, it said the client has won 23 deals from these efforts with a cumulative expected revenue of just over half a million dollars Canadian. And I was looking at that and I was doing the math because I'm a numbers guy. And that's one client every 3,000 emails sent out. Is that how many you were sending when you were having some early success? Like what was the volume looking like for your approach to it? Oh, it wasn't near that kind of volume. I think we were sending out like 50 a day, but it adds up at the end of the day. And like what our cost per lead is, we're laughing. Obviously our price point is not going to be everybody's price point, but our cost per lead is fantastic. And it makes it a no brainer for us. And honestly, there's good guys to work with. And it works as long as it's true to your brand. Maybe if you're trying to start a financial advisory company, wild squirrels might not be your thing. But hey, as long as it stands out, it doesn't have to be a squirrel. It just has to be unique. And it has to make people remember you. And not to tune our own horns, but I think we're okay at doing that. Yeah. At the end of the day, you have a proven business model behind your cold outreach efforts. And if you didn't have the fun website, if you didn't have the really high annual client value and a great sales team as well that who's willing to do crazy stuff <laughs> and be on your level. I don't think this approach works as well for somebody who is lower priced and trying to do sales themselves and that are very bad at it and doesn't have a great sales process for follow-up and doesn't know how to retain a client for a long time. These two things go hand in hand, client acquisition and having a good foundation in your business as far as pricing and client retention and things like that. I do want to bring more one more thing up. You were doing cold faxes. Can you talk about that? (laughs) Yeah, we absolutely did. We managed to get our hands on the list of every business in Alberta and Saskatchewan 
for our Americans listening, those are two provinces up in Canada. We managed to get our hands on that fax list and we sent out a cold fax one day to all of them just to see what happens. And the message was ridiculous. It was like, hey, I have no clue if people still use fax machines anymore. I'm too young to even remember using one. But like, if you get this, we're doing this in Zazie. We're an unlimited marketing agency and we're learning about faxing today. Do you want to be friends? And you know, we got a few responses. We got a couple meetings booked as a result. And I think it cost me like hundred bucks or something to use this online fax machine sender to send out these thousands of faxes. And we're like, even if this doesn't work at all, it's funny. And realizing now that like previous bosses probably received my cold fax makes it even funnier. So it, now today, 2023, early 2023, as we record this, I guess other than Hypergen, because that seems like this might be the answer to this question and maybe referrals, is there any other big sources of leads and clients that you're using right now to generate business for your business? Absolutely. And we turn them on and off, but we run paid ads. We run Google ads, we run social ads. And honestly, our Google ads are what worked best for us, but we'll try everything once. We're going to try Reddit ads this year because we've never done it before. Is it going to work? I don't know. Throw a couple hundred bucks at it and see what happens because we do have a killer media buying team in-house. But when our media buying team internally was too busy, we tried freelancing media buyers and they were also awesome. So paid ads have been a game changer for us. I'm just going to be honest, we had 1800% return on our ads in the fall. And that's not going to be the case with every single media buying campaign. So for those of you who are like, holy man, I need to use Z&Z's media buying campaigns. They're awesome. And they worked for us in that instance, in that time frame. But working with some killer media buyers was amazing for us. Right now, I was looking into your ads. It seems like your ads are going straight to book a call. I don't know if those are just retargeting ads or if they're actual cold ads, but I assume because they're going straight to book a call that they're retargeting ads. Do you know? We only have retargeting on right now. We're working on launching some cold ads shortly here on a couple of new platforms too, just to see what's going to happen. But yeah, we only have uh, retargeting going at the moment. Yeah. And I was looking into your site and I was chatting with your wonderful support reps or chat reps that were on there and very responsive. This is another thing you're doing for lead gen is like they were very responsive. They were encouraging me to book a call or send them an email or give them my email to send more info over. And they were replying back within just seconds, which was great to see. So kudos to them. Give them a little like shout out from the podcast interview we're on today. Is there anything else you're doing besides the live chat on your site to generate leads and get people in the door? Anything fun or crazy or any experiments you tried and failed at that's just worth talking about? Because even if the facts thing didn't work for you, profitably, or maybe it did or it didn't, it doesn't matter. It's still a funny story to tell. <laughs> There's one that we're waiting on and it hasn't launched yet, but we're on the wait list. There is a pigeon delivery service launching in the United States. And as soon as it launches, I'm 100% trying it out. I'm on the wait list. We're going to send a cold pigeon outreach. And I can't wait to see if it works or not, but I think it's funny as heck. Again, like this is just such crazy off the wall ideas that like to me, it's fun as hell. And even if it doesn't work, you can use that for PR, for free publicity. So, For those of you who are younger on the listeners, you might need to Google this, but we got Viewmasters made, the old clicky, click-through photo toys from the early 90s. We got those made with our pitch deck in them, and we mailed them to people. And we think it's hilarious. A company that we um, actually already had a relationship with, we sent them one just to be like, hey, what do you think? And they brought it on stage at a conference to be like, guys, what is this? 90s nostalgia seems to be big right now. So we sent out Viewmasters and had to explain to some of our staff what they were. That's amazing. So just to zoom out, big picture for your business, you have unlimited recurring services for a flat monthly fee. Your main kind of business model is you do all sorts of crazy shit to get eyeballs on your business and normal stuff too as well. You're not just doing all off the wall stuff. You're doing normal things like ads and cold emails and things like that, but you're putting your own flair on it. And then anyone who comes to your site and doesn't book a call is going to get retargeted. So I expect to see retargeting ads. So ads shown to me because I 
visited your site and you're going to remarket to me. The next step in your kind of funnel, if we're kind of like talking through it in this frame of mind, is to book a call. Is that right? Like you want to get them on a call and close them or at least give them enough information so they can make a decision. Is that the next step? Absolutely. We very rarely close the first call. Typically, it's a two-call process only because there's a lot of information. And we will not sign up every client that books with us by our choice. We want to make sure that the client is the right fit for us as well as us for them. For instance, if they are asking for things that are not within our skill set or that we can't confidently deliver on, we're going to politely decline and send them elsewhere if we have a buddy for them. We don't do live on-scene filmography. We're not going to come to your garage and film your band for you, but we have a partner company who we love and I'll refer you all day long. So we won't take on clients who, if what they need isn't something that we can rock for them. And then the other thing is they have to be nice. We will turn down clients if they are not going to be kind to our people because my staff are worth way, way, way more to me than making one sale. So you have to pass the don't be a butthead test and be a kind human being to my salespeople or they won't let you in the door. That's great. I would imagine that as large as your team is, like one bad client, especially on like a recurring service where that one client can do a lot of damage throughout a year if they stayed on. I could see how that would beat down on a really talented project manager or a really talented team member that you're now are going to lose because they just can't handle this client anymore. Exactly. It's not worth it. Firing clients is great. Never having them as hired in the first place is even better. I've hired four clients ever in the time of our company. And it's a no questions asked. If a staff member comes to me and says, hey, this person was disrespectful. This is what happened. I'm not going to question it. I'm going to be like calling the client and be like, respectfully, we need to see other people. We're breaking up. It's not me. It's you. Goodbye. <laughs> With a bit more politeness, but hard stop, instant breakup if there is anything that could be out of line. Yeah. And we've had to do this in some of my companies as well, where it's one person is not worth keeping around as a client or a customer if it affects my staff or my team or other customers or clients of mine. Let's talk about, I think, the most challenging part of your business and your model and what you're doing is on the fulfillment side. I love to ask this question when I see this on a website or see this in a business, but I already know the answer to this. I just ask, how can you possibly deliver on such a wide range of services that have a, such a diverse skill set? So you've got graphic design and illustration, web design and development, social media management, voiceover, product photography, video editing, podcast services, newsletters, blogs, media buying, advertising, ideation, brainstorming, and basic animation. And those are just what I saw on your site. There may be more than that. I have a ginormous team, which is the first part of it. We have absolutely rigorous testing for all of our applicants. So if anybody listening applies to come work for us, I'd love to see you. But we do a personality test and we do a skill test and we do an interview because I need to make sure, you know, if you're applying to be a graphic designer, can you graphic design? Can you actually do the job? Cool. If you can, fabulous. Come hang out with us. And then it's kind of like the gym is my best way of putting the fulfillment side of the reality of managing that many clients with that many staff. At a gym, you're going to have people who are there seven days a week, twice a day. They're going to be wearing down the equipment, using all the towels, your stereotypical gym human. But then you're going to have people who go, you know, once a week or less or are a less frequent user. And that's where the gym makes their profit. And we're no different. We have that nonstop gym bro equivalent of a client. But then we have the casual mom and pop. Hey, can we have some social media this week? Or hey, can you update our menu on the website today? We have those kind of clients. So it balances out at the end of the day and we make it work. This kind of goes back to the churn question, for, which for anyone not following, churn just means what percentage of clients cancel on you in a given month. And for businesses like yours, I would typically see 10% is maybe even as low as 7%. 
even up to 15% cancel in a month and have to now replace that each month that that comes on. We don't have to get into that with you unless you want to share those numbers. I am curious, do you proactively reach out to clients that aren't really utilizing your services? Or are you looking at that as that's the profit for the business? If they don't want to use it, we're not going to force it on them. Like, What is your take on reaching out to inactive or underactive clients? Our project managers touch base with every single one of their clients every single business day. We do not want them to forget we exist. We do not want them to stop using us because we are month to month. If they're not using us, they're going to leave us. And sometimes clients leave for valid reasons like they sold their business. Great. Congratulations. That's awesome. But I don't want somebody to cancel us because we're not fulfilling their needs or because they completely forgot about us, stopped using us, and they're like, oh, it's like Netflix. I can just cancel it. I want to keep them. So our project managers reach out every single day. And if a client's not responsive, we'll call them. We'll text them. We'll do whatever we need to. We'll get a hold of them and be like, hey, we haven't heard any project requests from you in like four days. So here's 12 ideas that we came up with that we think could be fun for you. And, you know, if we get their consent, we'll do all 12. We don't care. And then the other big thing we do, and honestly, this is one of the best things we ever started doing. We have a director of client success now. Her full-time job is bring that churn number down every month. And you're going to have some churn that's going to be outside of your control for various reasons. But any churn within our control, her job is to minimize it at all times. So something that we've been doing for almost a year now, we call every single client every month. And by we, I mean her. I've helped her here and there when she's been busy. But as a management team, we're calling every client because maybe they have a frustration that they didn't know how to error, or maybe they're super psyched and there's an opportunity for them to go up and package, or maybe we can get a Google review or get ahead on a problem that we didn't know was happening. So there's a thousand and one reasons, but we'll call our clients as a management team monthly and see how we're doing. And at the end, because it's all done in a Google sheet, I know exactly like, what is our vibe check on our clients? And our vibe check usually lines up really, really tight with our attrition number. So we know it's a process that's working. That's great. So you have you literally have a full-time staff member who is just reaching out proactively and trying to re-engage clients of yours who are not being as active as they should be. And I love how you're feeding ideas to them about how they can utilize your services. For anyone who's ever wanted to do an unlimited model like this, which we've had several people talk about on the show before, we've talked about on the show before, and we've had a good number of people that have reached out to me who are now trying that. And some people have even successfully implemented that sort of like recurring revenue business with either unlimited or a limited model. It can go either way with freelancers. If you're not being used as a freelancer, if your service is not being used and they're paying you every month, it is only a matter of time before they cancel. And every time a client cancels, you now have to then go pay to get a new one. You're going to either pay in time, you're going to pay in money, you're going to pay in sales commissions if you've got a sales team. So it is in your best interest as a business to be as healthy as possible and keep that client for as long as you possibly can, preferably forever. So I love what you're doing, Becca, to get that number down that you've even hired somebody to basically own that metric where it's their responsibility. And if that number's not going down, then they're not doing their job. I guess the next thing I'd love to chat about is when it comes to the onboarding process, as many clients as you're taking on at this point and as fast as you're growing, because we didn't even talk about it, you like grew like 1800% in a year or something like that. So is that an 18x growth rate? We were a baby in January of 2021. And then we were a grown up by Christmas. And If I'm being honest, a few of us were sometimes physically sleeping at the office. We had a mission. We knew the first year was going to be hard. We've all promised ourselves like, never again will we literally sleep at the office. But we were growing so fast. We'd found a unique niche in the market. We'd found a demand. We figured out how to reach these clients, but we hadn't figured out a lot of other things yet. And that's why I wasn't kidding when I say we throw out bad ideas all the time, but we will try them to see if they're bad. We tried to hire exclusively in our city in Northern Canada. Guys, there's not physically enough humans here to build this kind of a company in this town. We tried, we failed, we gave up and decided, why should I care where you live as long as you're cool? 
So now we're in 27 countries. We just hired a girl from Greece. I don't know how she found us, but like she got the job. She's awesome. And I love her. And we definitely learned the hard way, but that first year was cuckoo bananas. And it was like, I'm up at three in the morning, graphic designing, social media and writing the copy myself. And we'll hopefully never have to live that way again. But yeah, that first year of scaling can be a grind. But as long as you have solid partners and a good bottle of whiskey in the office, you get through it. That's great. What does your client onboarding process look like at this point? I assume it's well-honed, well-oiled machine at this point to make sure every client has what they need, when they need it, they feel taken care of, they have expectations set. I'd just love to know your thoughts on onboarding clients and how you do it the dingus and zazzy way. It continues to evolve just like the rest of our company because we can always make things better, faster, stronger. How we do it now, and this is new in the last months, if I'm being honest, every client books an onboarding call when they sign up. We only onboard seven clients a week. And we're very intentional with that number. We have very slowly, we used to do like two, then three. We slowly, slowly, slowly ramped it up. But we do that because the first three weeks with a new client are the most labor intensive. They are the most time that you're going to have to spend communicating with that client. Because we look at it like dating somebody new. You got to figure out what they're like. They got to figure out what you're like. You have to figure out each other's communication styles. So it's super important that we put a lot, a lot of focus on those new clients. So we limit the amount of clients we hire each month. And then going off of that, when you have your onboarding call, it's you and your project manager. But then also we have an onboarding expert and his full-time job is go to every single onboarding, make sure the onboarding recaps are done exclusively, make sure the rollout for the first two weeks with that new client is done fabulously, touch base with that client two weeks in to ask about the onboarding experience and then do the next person. So his full-time job is just onboarding excellence. And he's only moved into that role in the new year here and we're so pleased with it. And then following that, we send an aggressive follow-up email. We start work the day a client onboards. And then from there, you get calls from our client success manager three times in the first three months, touching base. Two weeks in, four weeks in, six weeks in, and then monthly from there on out. You still have the onboarding expert calling you two weeks in to make sure things are good. So we are all over your face to be like, do you have any questions? Do you understand this? Does this all make sense? And then because we're calling clients, we're getting feedback. I had a friend of mine sign up as a client, which is really exciting. And when Ren got started, I called her and I was like, hey, how is the onboarding? And she's like, the only thing is, afterwards, my boss had questions for me that I didn't know the answer to. And I was like, okay, it's almost done, but I'm going to literally make like a dingus 101 and attach it to those onboarding emails that the team sends out so that if your boss is like, so like how much work are they going to do in the first week? Or how do I get a hold of them? Whatever your team needs to know, maybe our point of contact going on vacation and they've got a peer covering. We have a dingus 101 and that way they have a bit more reference material to look back on. And we'll keep making those phone calls and filling any other ways we can to make it better. It's great. I'm gonna have to literally go back. I'm like taking notes where you're going through this. I'm like trying to think through my own onboarding process. So I'm gonna have to go back to this interview and listen back through just this section and start taking more vigorous notes from your onboarding process. Because I like the idea of calling a certain number of weeks out and constantly getting feedback. Because I feel like no matter where my onboarding process is, it's never good enough. (laughs) And there's always room for improvement. And I guess part of it, I need to expand my team so I'm not doing a lot of these things. Because right now I'm in a phase of done is better than perfect. But at some point, you need to get somebody in there who can make it perfect. And so you hired an onboarding specialist who can make it perfect, which I love that. Absolutely. And you're not going to find the need for these roles until you're in that situation where you're talking to your clients and they're like, hey, I wish you had this. Cool. It's an opportunity for me to figure out a new solution. And that solution for us was promoting somebody internally to being our onboarding specialist. I want to point out something you said, only, you're only onboarding seven clients per week. But if you do quick math, that's over 350 clients a year. <laughs> that's a lot for our audience, 350 clients a year. Just to put that in perspective, that's like a client every day. <laughs> More than a client every day if you count just weekdays. It works for our business. We started at two a week. 
honestly, we'll add or subtract from that number depending on what's going on. Like the two weeks between Christmas and New Year's, there's less client demand for onboardings and staff want to take holidays. So we dropped that number down to two or three, I believe, for the Christmas holidays because I could let people go on vacation. Clients didn't really care because they were on vacation. It worked. And then in the new year, I ramped it back up. So it's something you can be flexible with to make sure that it's working for everybody. That's great. So is there anything about this business and this model that our audience should know about that we didn't get to cover? Try absolutely everything and anything because it doesn't hurt to try it. Even if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. The worst thing is you've learned a lesson and you'll gain something from it, whether that is, hey, we shouldn't do that. It's always worth trying anything, no matter how bizarre it is. You're going to figure it out. Your team is adaptable. And as long as you're pitching these ideas with energy and kindness, they're going to get on board. So just try it. See if it works. And at the end of the day, even if it fails, it's still a fun story that you can tell other people about, which is to me a win as well. Becca, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this with us today. Where would you like our audience to go to connect with you or learn more? Absolutely. So you can go to our website and blow it up. It's dingusandzazzy.com. Or you can add me on LinkedIn as the only social media that I'm active on. And on there, it's just Becca Kingsbury. So feel free to add me, message me at any time. I'm the worst for responsiveness on social media. I'll be very honest. It might take me a day or two, but I will respond to you. So send me a message. Let's chat. And she's not lying. You can blow up her website. That wasn't just a figure of speech. It is the game that is on her site. And I will argue that you are not the worst because I am bad as where I will just not reply on social media because I don't participate on social media anymore. So there's always someone worse. But again, thank you so much, Becca. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for my conversation with Becca Kingsbury. I do want to mention something that I forgot to ask her. And then after the interview's over, we talked for like another 30, 45 minutes just about stuff that she was helping me with hiring, which is amazing for her to spend the time to do that. But it was something I forgot to even mention to her was if they're looking for people to hire and they're constantly hiring people all the time because they're bringing on 350 clients a year. If anyone here is looking for a job at an agency, this could be a really good chance for you to learn on the job and hone your creative skills and gain some experience and see from the inside how an agency like this is run at a level like this. Judging by how many people we've had on this show, where we talked about they got their start working in the agency world and learning on the job and getting paid on the job to then take that away to implement in their own freelance businesses and then eventually their own agencies. This could be the right move for some of you. They're looking for hires in all sorts of areas. So no matter what you're good at, even if it's not creative, they even said they're like looking for a HubSpot expert. If you're an expert in HubSpot, maybe consider applying. But if you want to apply to work with them, you can just email them careers at dingusandzazzy.com. And if that email doesn't work for some reason, or maybe I said it wrong, you could probably just go to the website. They have a fun website. They have a live chat on there. Their chat rep is very responsive. And you can just say, hey, just listen to episode 239 of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. And they mentioned that Dingus and Zazzy was looking to hire. And we'll have the email in our show notes for that as well. So that is it for this episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. And if it sounds like it's a good fit and you are looking for a job and maybe you're not happy with your day job and you want to transition into another career that's more in the creative world, why you moonlight in the freelance world, this could be something that makes sense for you. 